welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. Welcome to the Fairways of Life show, folks. Pleasure to have your company here on the Fairways of Life show. The only live, independent, global, daily golf television show. We used to say morning show, but now we're hearing from so many people around the world that are catching the, the show. They're like, it's not morning here. It's evening in Australia. Welcome, one and all. We're glad to have your company from wherever you are. we got a lot to go through with you today. Keegan Bradley winning on the PGA Tour at the Travelers Championship and doing it in record fashion and kind of doing it representing the kids from New England to say, you know, you can come from a place that's cold and it's snowy and still win out on the PGA Tour. He was, In fact, he mentioned in his post-round comments how – when he was a kid, he wouldn't get invited to the elite junior tournaments because the kids that got invited came from places that are warm that are playing year-round. So he kind of feels like he won this Travelers Championship for all of the other snowbound young aspirants in the world of golf. You'll be hearing from Keegan Bradley coming up in the program, as well as Rory McIlroy had some comments that I think are going to continue to reverberate and make news this is Rory who comes to the Travelers Championship every year, presumably loves the golf tournament, right? He's told us in the past that he likes the way that they do things, that they, they take care of everybody so well that it basically feels like a home game. Yet, Rory said of the golf course where Keegan Bradley set a record at 257 aggregate that was one shot better than Kenny Perry's uh, record score in 2009, uh, Keegan Bradley finishing on 23 under par. Rory said that the golf course is obsolete, right? And so there's a lot for you guys to chew on, as I'm sure messages are already coming in, of what does it mean for a golf course in the eyes of a professional to be deemed obsolete because of the modern athlete and the modern technology in golf? What does that mean? Does 23 under make a difference to you? Do you understand what I mean? Does it matter to you what tour professionals do? If a golf course is considered obsolete, and what he, I'm sure the reference there is that he, he's saying it's too short. If a golf course is too short for the modern athlete, for the modern technology, okay, what does that translate to? This one also happened to be soft this past week at TPC River Highlands, uh, which was, I love the event, always have. Does that mean that it's going to give up, thus, a lot of birdies. Of course it means that, right? And does giving up a lot of birdies mean something negative? Well, I, I would guess from a player's perspective, you're going to hear Rory today on the Fairways of Life show. Yeah, I would guess from a player's perspective, he looks at it and goes, well, it bunches the field and you've got people up there that otherwise wouldn't be up there if the golf course was long and hard and fast and, and running, uh, you know, U.S. Open style. Keegan Bradley finishing first, as I mentioned, 23 under, tied for second. Zach Blair and, and Brian Harmon at 20 under. Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, Ches Reavy all at 19 under. Rory McIlroy and Denny McCarthy amongst those tied for seventh and 18 under par. So, again, I'm just curious what you guys think about that. 
Uh, do want to ask you the question about aim point. Everyone's like, what? What's the, what's the connection with that, Maddie, in this day? Aim point. Keegan Bradley uses aim point. Keegan Bradley, you're going to hear talk about what he thinks about aim point. Now, I'm not suggesting anything nefarious here. I'm not suggesting there's something wrong with aim point. I'm just curious what you guys think of aim point. You know, where they straddle the line and they're trying to feel the, the, the slope, the grade with their feet, which when I see that, I, I get that there's, there appears to be a consciousness from a player saying I've got my feet on each side of the line and I want to feel which foot is higher or what have you. I would think instinctually we all do that. Right? I, and I'm thinking about like a Dave Stockton that says, no, I want you to walk around the hole. At least walk around the hole before you hit. Because I, I want you to see where the high point is. Uh, a lot of times you hear pe- people talk about the, the water flow. If it was raining right now, where would the water flow? That's going to give you your break, et cetera. Uh, and then, you know, aim points, one finger, two finger, or three, depending upon the amount of movement, et cetera. I'm just curious how that, how that strikes you guys. Do, do you view it as something that is instinctual? Do you view it as something that is athletic? Or do you view it as as digging digging your fingernails into the side of the cliff and hanging on for dear life? But when it results in a record low score, which again you could default back to what I was just talking about with Rory and say, oh, there's a lot of factors that led to that record low score. Clearly there was, but there was an entire field chasing the same, and the guy that achieved it was Keegan Bradley, and Keegan Bradley uses aim points. So isn't it working? And if it works, who cares? This is the same guy that, that at one time used the the broom. Anchored at the time. One of the people that led the USGA, they say, to, to make the decision that you can't anchor a club. They didn't outlaw the, the broomstick putter. They outlawed the, the, the anchoring of it. So Keegan Bradley clearly has a mindset that he's willing to try different things that may be outside the realm of norm until such time as they appear to becoming norm and willing to try them and he has success with them. So anyways, we're going to talk about that. But first, I want to talk about the KPMG Women's PGA Champion where Championship, where we have a new major champion on the world stage, Ronin Yin, who's actually an incredible story. And that's why I, I think that in some ways – it's almost as if we're living now in the era of, of the, the prodigy golfer. Right? This was only her fourth major. Fourth. And she won it with that 467 yesterday. And when you start to hear her pathway coming from China, her, her idol was Shen Cheng Feng, the only other women to have won a major out of China. So Ronin turned professional in 2020 at the age of 17. She didn't even start playing golf. She was huge into basketball when she was a kid. Huge fan to this day, Steph Curry. But with her stature, she knew to to be an athlete that she wanted to be. She would need to, to find her passion in other sports. She started playing golf at 10 years old. By the time she was 16, she was already representing China's national team at the Asian Games, which, incidentally, she won a bronze. When she was playing in 
junior amateur events. Just to give you one example, the year 2019. She won nine times. So when she turned pro in 2020 at the age of 17, she played in China's LPGA tournament. She won. She joins their tour, and she wins her first three events. She gets to the LPGA through the LPGA Q Series in 22, where she finished fourth. And yes, in 22, it took her a while to find her footing. Is there anything more profound to say she found her footing than to say she is now a major champion? She birdied the last hole yesterday. She defeated Yuka Sasso by one stroke. Sasso, incidentally, also birdied 18. So to get to know now, Ronin, we asked the first question, what does it mean for you to become a major champion? It means a lot, but I still feel so unreal right now. Um, I mean, after, before today, I didn't even think about it. And uh, after nine holes, at, when we at a clubhouse, I started thinking about, oh, maybe I have a chance to win this championship. Not really. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, uh, when, when I was walk on, walking this 10, um, I just thought, I just said, oh, wow, major ch- winner. It's amazing. I, I, yeah, it's just unreal. Yeah. Uh, I look at the leaderboard all the time because um, I like to look the leaderboard because I know where, what position I'm at. Um, yeah, just I think I was on 18T. I just look at the leaderboard. I saw, oh, I have one shot lead. And then just when I walked down to the fairway and I saw Yuka make, made a birdie there and I just, I know I have to make birdie on 18 to win this. Um, actually, Lauren showed me the line for for a little bit, and uh, I just yeah I just talked to my caddy like um, maybe left edge, and uh, I just put a very clutch putt. I think that means a lot. Um, I'm I'm glad that I can be the second Chinese player after Shenzhen win a major. And uh, I think, yeah, like I said, after LA Open, I think it's gonna push a lot, um, push a lot of kids to play golf. Is it safe to say that the rent is going to go up now? Oh wow! Um, <laughs> I'm actually thinking about buy her house right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, just think about it. All right, that was that was pretty good there, by Ronin Yin. She's renting a house from Shi Yu Lin, who finished third, and that's why they asked, you know, you think rent's going to go up? Because I think she won, what, $1.5 million with the victory. She finished on eight under par. That was one shot better, as I mentioned, by Yuka Sasso. And Sasso, again, in fairness, I also mentioned this to you, but she did it, so full credit. She also birdied 18 as well. And Yuka was asked to kind of sum up the week at Baltz's role. It was awesome week, you know, just to you know, just that I was able to come here um, having more than a week off um, and to be playing at KPMG, which, you know, I'm they're sponsoring me and I'm very proud of. And I was able to play with, you know, top golfers um, throughout the week. So I was very happy. After missing the birdie on 17, you know, I, I just 
wish that I won't hit my drive on the water on the 18, you know. <laughs> uh, but glad I didn't. Hit a good shot and second shot um, hit on the left bunker. And it was not an easy bunker shot, but um, it was manageable. And I was able to manage it pretty good. So, yeah, um, I think we played good today. Stephanie Meadow had a chance to close the deal on 18. Actually, after a good drive, topped her second shot. So when she addressed the media, she ended up finishing six under, uh, two shots back and a tie for third. But when she addressed the media afterwards, they asked her first to start with, you know, how would you sum up the week, but then very quickly take us through that 18th hole. Yeah, it's been a fantastic week. I mean, everything about this tournament is always top-notch, and um, this year was no exception. So, um, you know, obviously not the outcome that either Leona or I wanted today, but um, we fought hard and we did our best. Yeah, um, obviously that was not my career best shot there on the second. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I got lucky, um, and I knew it, and I still tried to make birdie. You know, sometimes uh, golf gods are in your favor, and sometimes they're not. So um, they were looking out for me right there. But, um, yeah, I'll just wipe that from the memory for now. <laughs> um, well, it's been a long time since I finished tied for third, and the check's not bad. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, um, you know, I've had so much support. Like, I know that, um, you know, my husband was watching with at our country club today with a bunch of people, so I can only imagine the support I had. And, you know, I did, I did my best. I laid it all out there, and that's all I can do, and I'm excited to go home for two weeks. It is exciting, isn't it? And, and in some ways almost cruel that a golf course can come down to the last putt. It can come down to the last hole, the last couple of holes. For Rose Zhang, who think about, the run that she is on. This is what I mean about, the, you know, we're living in the era of the, the fulfillment of prodigies, right? Where Rose Zhang wins her first LPGA event. Here she is now, and, and I'm talking about as a professional, obviously. Here she is now at a major championship, and she had a very makeable putt for birdie at 17, and she put a great effort upon it, but it lipped out. She ended up finishing at five under, three shots back. Yeah, she wouldn't have needed that putt. She would have needed some magic at 18, but the opportunity eluded her this time. So she was asked when she came in, first thing, obviously, was how would you sum up your first week at a major as a professional? Uh, It's been incredible. Uh, I felt so much support and love from the crowds out here, and it's really cool um, that I was here in New Jersey at Mizuho the last couple weeks, and now I'm here at my first major. Um, Safe to say it's super special, and I took it all in for sure. Yeah, it was definitely very tense. I felt a lot of energy from the crowds. Um, I knew that the groups in front of me and the groups behind me uh, were playing super well and alongside me. Uh, Lin Yixian was playing amazing as well. And um, it was just a really fun experience to just be in the hunt, uh, especially at my first major. Uh, I've been in position before as an amateur, but um, this week was pretty special for a little new career start. <laughs> to be fair, the first week at Mizuho, it felt a little bit um, just surreal. I didn't feel like I was a professional. I was straight up coming from NCAAs, and um, it was kind of just a trial run, in my opinion. Um, it was a little start to my career, and I didn't really have any expectations. And even this week, I didn't have any sort of um, 
expectations on myself, but at the same time, I wanted to see where my game ended up with the professionals and really see if I am able to be in contention on a good day, on a bad day, etc. Um, so it's really cool to see that my game is there and um, I just have to work a little extra harder to play better. Keep an eye on Rose Zhang. There's little doubt about that. So, Dom, you disagree with my assessment of the age of the prodigy already. What do you mean I disagree with what? You you what were in my headset going, are these, they aren't prodigies. You, you were flat out telling me they're not prodigies. No, no, no. no. All right, this is a... This could turn into a one-hour conversation. What I was what I was saying to Matt in his ear is that I think it's interesting that we are ascribing sort of the, the word prodigy to a lot how of these. Does, how does Dom all of a sudden become well. so reasoned and so talking? balanced? No, because all of a sudden you're telling the world like I was saying in Matt's ear. I think it's interesting that we use a term like prodigy in an age in which kids are reared and and worked since six years old to be you my, you never sound point, like that my point is or my question is oh now it's a question can you call can you really call someone a prodigy if they're sort of being bred to be these professional athletes like victor webanyama just got drafted in the nba number one he's seven four he's giant from the time he was a little baby he was basically being trained for that particular moment isn't so he is 170 really a prodigy? pounds? It's not like he was discovered at 14, you know, like in some gym somewhere. And like, oh, my God, this kid is no one's ever heard of him. And he's amazing. And I, I just wonder, like what? Ronin Yen, I don't know her background specifically, but like every little detail of it. But I, I just wonder how much how long she's been training, how she's been well, training. We know. I mean, we know she didn't start no, playing golf until she was 10. Yes, but my question Which is. is let me look. You know what? I'm going to look up like the definition of the word prodigy. I have it right here. Because Oxford language. Sort of I looked it up as soon as you offended me. Not doing a bunch of practice. Oxford languages prodigy definition: a person, especially a young one, endowed with exceptional qualities or abilities. And they use as an example a Russian pianist who was a child prodigy in his day. Second definition: an impressive or outstanding example of a particular quality. Third, an amazing or unusual thing, especially one out of the ordinary course of wait, nature. Read, so, read the fir- wait, 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 wait. Read the first definition again. A person, especially a young one, endowed with exceptional qualities or abilities. So endowed. So if you spend seven years training eight hours a day at something, are you really endowed with that skill? The question, or the have question you has to be it and asked. It? But the question that has to be asked there was. Is that person going down that pathway because they showed a propensity towards it and or a love? And in doing so, they show some early signs of exceptional qualities. Therefore, that pathway thus becomes this one where as you whatever amount of hours you just said that they spend for the X amount of years. Right. Because we've seen the early videos of Tiger Woods. Was Tiger a child prodigy? We know that his father trained him from the time that he was knee high. But was was Tiger a child prodigy? We saw him on the Mike Douglas show, the old videos of him hitting a golf ball, hitting a shot. Right? They said that Bobby My Jones was a child prodigy. A was he coached? Now, Matt, he was coached. Be, that's fair. But now being a parent myself, is that if, if, if you are leaning a child in that direction before the age of, say, 10 – 
how much of that is a parent living vicariously versus definitely a child actually caring about, oh, I want to do this every day, all day. I like it that much. I think the first step. How do they know they're 10? They're six. I I do think I actually think the first step to prodigy, which is actually supports your position, that the first step to prodigy is showing an aptitude towards showing an ability of. Right. I think it has to also be fired by a love for it or how many times over the over the years have we seen uh, a young athlete in whatever sport that was incredible as a youth that burns out. Right. You have to have an incredible fiery passion. I mean, we see the old videos of, of Rory hitting chip shots into into his parents. I think it was her dryer. That he was hitting those little shots into, but you have to have a natural propensity first. I think you can overcome it, but I think when when it just gets drilled through you, I do definitely think it's part of what you just said, where it's a parent living vicariously, seeking their their child to have the glory that they were denied. But I think when we look at at some of these, it, I mean, these are very very young people. So you and think Ronin, Ronin Yin in, and Rosang straight up prodigies. I would say I'm yes. not saying yes or no. I'm just asking the question. In my mind, they are to be that okay. young and have this level of success. Well, the stuff about Ronin Yen Lydia that Ko? you were reading earlier about the stuff in China that she was doing, winning nine AM events in one year, and you know she the the winning the China's LPGA Q School, and then just winning her first three events as a pro. You don't hear about that stuff happening in the United States very much. When was the last time? Was there? Have you? I don't. I mean, I don't know history like you do. Has there ever been a golfer that just turned pro and just won all their events right away, three in a Nancy row? That's Lopez. crazy. Nancy Lopez basically did. She it. She won her and, first and, three. Uh, I don't know what what she what she won. I think her first year she won eight, if I'm not mistaken. You'd have to look it up to find out what she did exactly, but she was clearly a prodigy. She clearly came through and, and blasted through. I mean, um. I want, to, I want to find out what the people think on this stuff because we're going down this road and having fun with the PGA Tour Superstore.com. If you log on there, you can see how and why the PGA Tour Superstore is the number one golf retailer in all of the land. 60 big, beautiful stores spread out from coast to coast wherein you can find whatever your golf needs, whether you swing it, whether you wear it, whether you can learn from it, but you'll learn from the best because you're shopping with the pros. These are professionals that are vested in what is best for your game. They're not trying to sell you a fishing pole over here, ammunition over there, or workout equipment over there. They are making sure that you get exactly what you need for your golf game. Think about this for a second. You know what I'm talking about. Shop with the pros. Find your happy place at the PGA Tour Superstore. All right, Dom, what are you hearing from the people? A lot. But first, I want to say, holy crap, nine tournaments in her rookie year, including Five consecutive wins for Nancy Lopez. That's what I was saying. That is bananas. Yeah. I feel like that stuff isn't happening anymore. And think about when she came out, right? You're talking about the late 70s. She comes out on the LPGA Tour. Pardon me, 78? 1978 was the Right. So she comes out on the PGA Tour, and all of the game's greats, Virtually all of them are still playing. Some of them are getting a little long in the tooth, but they're playing and they're winning. And this kid comes out from New Mexico and tears up the PGA Tour. It is that significant. And it's not like everyone thinks, you know, when they because we all think in a present day conceit, we all think like, well, now it would be different. 
people knew how special it was back then. She was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and everything else. It was that unique. Well, she ended up with 48 LPGA Tour wins and three major championships, just FYI. She was, Which is interesting because you think she would have won more majors in Paris. She's the nicest person ever. She is. Um, all right, so back to the people. Um, the people. I think we can go to a break and talk about travelers and do some other things, but I do. my question sir, uh, ha- has to do with Aimpoint, which you brought up, which I think is really interesting. And there are some comments coming in about Aimpoint, which I would like to get to. Um, but with regard to the the prodigy stuff, I sensed a button. Uh, there. Look at ladies' tenant. What? I sensed a butt coming. You were like, I want to talk about aim point, and everyone's in the edge of your seat going, okay. And then you go, butt. So what you want me to just, uh, what, uh, pick a topic, Matt? Which I one just you asked me, you, like, what are you, you hearing from the people? I'm hearing everything. All right, fine. I'll read it all. Whatever. All right. Today's question of the day: Do you use aim point? Oh, yes, no, or I don't know what this is. Okay. Is an option. Zero percent double zeros for yes. Double zeros. No, 83%. And 17% of our audience have no idea what Aimpoint is. So we'll have to just explain that to them when we come back from the break. But really um, interesting. Okay. Interesting golf course about the travelers. However, he's probably smart enough not to make a similar comment about St. Andrews. Obviously, this is now we're talking about Roy's comments on the course, which we also have video of and we'll get to. Is St. Andrews obsolete? Question mark. Just another dumb comment from Rory. It means if the ball isn't slowed down, 30 under is coming for courses like this one. Uh, don't get me going about the aim point. It's a significant time waster on the PGA Tour. <laughs> I love the anger. <laughs> Just, I don't know. <laughs> There's so much venom. Uh, Rory is wrong as usual. Who cares what the score is? Everyone starts at zero. The question of the day needs another possible option. I don't care, Neil writes. So he obviously doesn't care the aim point. at all about aim point. Yeah, that's uh, it. Yeah, that's a different ridiculous finger. When champion- yes. It will become ridiculous when championship courses are reduced to drive pitch par fours and drive seven iron par fives. How is this a test or entertaining at all? Question mark. Uh, David says, that's correct. Waste of time. Talk about aim point. <laughs> Aimpoint looks stupid, but I don't care. I like guys that seem to know the green without doing the geeky-looking stuff, but that's just me. Great to see another Chinese winner. Great for golf. The Asian Tour will overtake the DP World Tour. That was from uh, Derek. Uh, at the recent U.S. Open on one green, three players, three caddies, they all used Aimpoint. Two of the caddies walked forward and backwards. All of the players missed their putts. <laughs> I'm going to read that again. That was a fun one. At the recent That's U.S. Open on one green, three players and three caddies all used aim point. Two of the caddies walked forwards and then backwards, and all of the players missed their butts. One putt flew six feet past. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's from Kane's out group. I enjoyed that. Um, at a minimum... Paul writes, stop future ball speed increases, then reduce the driver head forgiveness. David writes, remember when they held their putter vertically to see the line? I think Ken Venturi said, all I see is true temper, <laughs> which is obviously the sticker on the shaft. That's great. That's uh, the called LPGA is great. That's that's a yeah, that's yeah, different. Yeah. I've I've never uh, been able to make that work. I, I've tried the it. There's people that live by plumb bobbing because you're using it as a vertical as, as a straight line. 
And I feel like my my opinion, right. which is typically very mean and mean. Uh, negative, which oh. this is, is if you suck at golf, which is most of us, I suck at golf, most of us suck at golf, okay? Now, I don't know how we would define suck, Matt, but I'm going to say like— I, I'm not sure how you define it because you're, you're a, a, a middle single-digit handicap, but go ahead. I would say you suck at golf if you're like above zero, obviously. No, I was going to say like a like a six or worse, probably something like that. Because okay, a tour player, be, Andrew, listen, would you would you here. just would follow, you just pour that here. gasoline everywhere? Just let <laughs> help Dom pour the gasoline everywhere. <laughs> listen and, to me. Listen, listen. Dom, just go ahead and light a match and throw listen. it in there right now. Listen. A tour There's player, your clip for today. Dominic Scarano declares that if you are a six or higher handicap, <laughs> you suck at golf. Back with more right after this. Let me, can, I, can I finish, please? <laughs> a tour player is probably, what, 10 shots better than scratch? Is that fair? About 10 shots? No. It, it's more, it'd be closer to around uh, six to eight, but yeah, on average. Okay. So, so that means that if you're a six... Right. If you're six, you're roughly, roughly call it 12 to 15 shots worse than a pro. Okay, so if you're 12 to 15 shots worse than a pro, should you really be spending 10 minutes on a green doing aim point? Do you really need to be walking around a green making sure? Oh, my God, I'm going to make this putt. Oh, my God, I'm I'm like I'm this good. No, you're not. You're 15 shots worse. You're just out on the weekend playing golf. Like the rest of us, just hit the ball, just putt the ball. Like you're going to miss most of them anyway. I mean, the tour players. What's the average make percentage from ten feet, Matt? Sixty percent, fifty percent. It's higher than fifty percent. It's closer to like from ten feet, about seventy percent would be my guess. Sixty-five, seventy percent. Okay, and what's what's that number for a six handicap? For a fifteen handicap, ten percent, fifteen, twenty percent, maybe. No, no, no. Oh come on, Dom. I think we need to. I'm I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to help you here for a second. If the definition is that a six handicap, and I realize I'm getting the very bottom end of your range because you're going everyone above that, which which is really kind. Well, what's just, the number then? Who you tell me what you have to be to suck at what golf? What I'm trying to give you because is relativity and context. Because I can tell you that context. I hit a lot of really bad shots. Like I'm really trying to bad give you shots. relativity and like context nine. first. I believe that your definition is based upon a tour player's caliber. So if we were asking this question of a tour player, where would a tour player, if they weren't trying to be political and they weren't trying to do what you just did, which is just cover the room with gasoline and then flip your cigarette in there. (laughs) You're just pissed because you think everyone in the audience is going to be pissed. No, no, no. I I know for a fact that you just insulted everyone. But what I'm saying is, (laughs) is that if you ask myself, by the way, if you asked a tour player. Like if I sent if I sent a text to Pat Perez and asked him, he'd be a good one because he's he's unfiltered. And I said to a tour player, at what point does a player suck? I bet a tour player would tell you it's it's from a scratch golfer up. Oh my God! So what are you making my point right now? What is happening? I'm giving context to your point. Why? So people wait wait. So people don't so if, attack if, your if, studio with with five irons and pitchforks. They're gonna but, well, listen. If that is the context you're providing, then 
then tell me why anybody that's a six or higher, call it 10. I don't care what, whatever. You, you make the line. Make a new line. Whatever. All right. Why, why do they act like they're a tour player when you're playing on the weekends? You're because not a tour player. You suck. Because the piece that you're missing with all this, that whatever somebody tries, uh, you know, you, you were talking about aim point, but it could be a whole variety of different things that, that people try. The, one of the beauties about the game of golf, which is one of the reasons why we exist as a show, is because people aspire in the game of golf to be better than they are currently. And they aspire in the game of golf to play to what they feel their potential is. Now, you can argue with whether someone actually has the potential that they think they have or not. My prayer in all of this is that do whatever you want to do that you think makes you a better player and gives you better potential to play your very, very best. But, but do it as quickly as you possibly can so you're not holding up the whole rest of the world. That's, that's the only caveat that I have on, on, on that piece. So well, I want you to do something, Dom, while we're sitting here. I want you to do <laughs> a Google the search. These are fantastic. <laughs> I want you to do a Google search for the percentage okay. of golfers that are single-digit handicaps. What percentage of golfers are single-digit handicaps? If I remember correctly, the percentage of golfers that break 100, I believe, is 9%. That's break 100. We're talking Only about 1% pe- of golfers have an official handicap index below 10. How many? What percentage? I, again, I don't know how I'm sourcing these, right? What this percentage? Internet, but I 1%. 1%. Okay. 1%. And then and then he and then he questions are, are the validity 10 or of the sources. Below 10. <laughs> That's beautiful. All right. Well, I mean, it's the internet, people. You know what I mean? This what I'm be, saying to you is 1%. Who knows? This could so, be a tweet from a person that's not a real, I mean. <laughs> uh, you, who, who, who is the quote from? Abe Lincoln? So here's, I, here's it's the thing. from a guy on Reddit. <laughs> Just do your research, Tom. Your, your, your percentages are not going to be far off. What I'm telling you is that it, here's, here's where I'm coming from. 99.99% of the game are played by non-tour professionals. So what a tour professional defines a hack by is very different than the rest of the world. That's the first comment that I have in terms of the context. Now, for 99.99% of the people that play the game, if 1% are below a 10 handicap, 1%, then there's no way that you could make a, a, a declarative and say people from six ha- at handicap and higher suck at golf. It is quite well, the opposite. Two, well, I have two questions. I have, well, I have two follow-up questions then. What is the line? You don't like insulting people, and I get it. But there is a line, right? There is a line, and the people above that line suck. Like, if, if you're in the NBA and you can't make more than 65% of your free throws, you Again, suck. Again, be careful about comparing this to the elite that are the best of the best of the best in their world. Talk to me about – you play a lot of basketball. Talk to me about how you judge someone who can play basketball and who's someone who sucks when you play your games. You've been playing in, on teams good point. and pick up Hold games on, for is, years. No, no, listen to me. Listen, this is actually a really good analogy. Thank you for bringing this up. I play basketball. I have my whole life. I don't consider myself a great player, but I've been playing my whole life. I still play once a week with a group of guys, and we occasionally will have new guys uh, sort of jump in for various reasons. Okay. If you this this is getting back to my original point. If you suck at it, right, then don't get in the way. That's the issue. 
I don't care if you suck. I care if you get in the way. So if you can't dribble or you suck at shooting or you're, or you're uncomfortable dribbling, like you're not confident, then don't dribble. Pass me the ball. Pass someone else the ball. One dribble, get it out of your hands. Make sure you're cut. Make sure you're movement. Move your defender around. So uh, from an analogy standpoint, which was my original point, what the, my original point when I brought this up is it frustrates the hell out of me on regular golf courses every weekend all over the country, probably all over the world. I can't imagine it's any different anywhere else. You have a lot of people who are acting as if or treating the round as if it's more important than it is or they're way better than they are, and they're slowing things down. If you well, can't different. dribble, that's pass different. the ball. Now, now you're tethering if you're a, it to If you're a 15 handicap, you don't need to spend 45 minutes over your putt. You don't need to do that. And the other thing is, to what you said earlier about how, well, everyone has, has the right to try and improve and get better. Dave Stockton came on this show and said, when you sign your name on a receipt, do you spend 15 minutes practicing your signature? No, you don't. You just sign your name. And that's, that was his advice to a touring professional. So if you're a, a, an 18 handicap do you really need to be spending 15 minutes over a putt? That's going to make it worse than you already are. Again, Dom, you're, you, as, you, as you're brilliant at, you morphed your, your purpose here. If you're talking about slow play, that's a completely different conversation to talk about what no, I'm people talking about do all that of it. No, I'm talking about all slow. of it. It's annoying. It's annoying to see an 18 handicapper do aim point. It's annoying. I don't care if it takes. I don't but care what, if they do it quick. It's well, annoying. consider it okay. You don't care if they do it quick, but what on the other side of that? If it actually helps them and makes them a quicker player, now all of a sudden there's another perspective of looking at That's it. Impossible. All I was trying to do was give That's relativity <laughs> to your no comment, where if you were talking about the best of the best, the best elite players in the world, and you're talking about competition, I believe that they would say, yeah, the scratch golfer sucks because they can't compete with them by the by the tune of five, six, seven, eight strokes or more. They can't. Over the course of a tournament, it's a crushing. But if you talk to that same tour player about like a, a pro-am and they're playing with someone that's anywhere from, say, an 8 to a 12 and their judgment does vary depending upon like the condition or, or the age of a player, et cetera, and you'll hear a tour player say, oh, no, you know, he's a pretty good player. That's a very common phrase, pretty good player. And I find that a pretty good player in their mind is someone that ranges right in that realm that you're casting aside and going, they don't know what they're doing. That's not, that's not the way it is defined. So for me, if you're looking at someone that if you're going to find some stats now, by the way, I can read when you're ready, but go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I, I want to hear the official stats. You, you got, you got the information. This is from the USGA. These are real numbers here. The average handicap index for men is 14.2. This is the average. The average handicap index for women is 27.5. The most common handicap index range for men is 13 to 14, which consists of about 6% or more than just more than 95,000 golfers. But the 13 handicappers in the U.S. are barely the most common, holding just one one-hundredth of an edge over the second most common handicap, 12 to 13, etc. Uh, the If you are, hold on. If you are a male with a 13.9 handicap or lower, then you are better than half the men registered with USGA for handicaps. 
50.55% of handicaps are below 14. Just how many scratch players are there? Perhaps more than you'd think. There are 35,883 men's and women's players with a plus handicap index. That number makes up 1.85% of men and 0.69% of women. So it's actually our numbers that I was giving earlier. 1.85% uh, of men are a plus, you know, scratch or better, not because we were talking about single digit, I think, correct? Is that the phrase we were mm -hmm. using? Um, percent of total. Here we go. Um, I'm trying to get the numbers correct for you guys. Hold on. 180. Where did I see the number? trying to find the number because I think the number if I I can't find it now I lost it in the in the fray but I think the number was like 119 I think 119,000 are, are single digit does that sound right why can't I find it does that sound accurate Matt does that sound about right uh, I'm, I'm looking for percentages from you because that if you give me a number and say 119,000 of what um Percentage of total men, nine to nine, nine to ten handicap, four point eight percent, eight to nine percent, four point four three percent. So I think that means that four point eight one percent of men. They're give they're giving you those. Better. Is that correct? Yes, they're giving you the individual handicap percentages or tiny a tiny little range based upon the total number of people that have actually have handicaps. Because there's 47 yeah. million people that are defined as golfers in the United States. And those definitions range from a core golfer. It can be 30, I believe it's 32 million that actually are defined by golfers that play golf on a golf course. Okay, now you're talking about how many of those have handicaps. And then above that 32 are people that play golf in what's considered, uh, if you will, non-traditional. It could be anyone that holds a club in their hand. They're saying, well, they, they've. They play, they have a club, they have a ball. It's the same way you define tennis or basketball or anything else. You may not be playing in, you know, the garden, but, you know, you're playing basketball with your, with your buddies. It's a game. So they, they're judging golf now the same way, which they should. But the question is of the 32 million that are defined as, as people that play golf on a golf course, how many of them have an actual handicap? I don't know the answer to that. So when you tell me that 4% have, say, an 8 handicap that that equates to a number yes but that we, we'd have to take that number and say that number is 110,000 or what you just gave me 110,000 is four percent of what somebody out there okay, knows never mind I found it I found it I found Thank it you. ready there are so I just gave you the number right 37,000 players better than scratch 170,000 zero to five 419,000 five to so that's 680, about 700,000 golfers in the handicap system are 10 or under. Okay, but it takes me back Out to the same many? thing I was just telling you, Dom. I, if if I, we don't know what the total number of handicaps are, we don't know what percentage 700,000 is of the total. My guess is, is that it's higher, but then you have to ask the additional question of, is it higher because a player who has a handicap is 
either a more dedicated golfer or a more core golfer, and that and that those definitions are based upon the amount of rounds that you play. So does it actually represent the entirety of those who play golf? So this whole conversation is avoided by the fact that you're defining this by a handicap range when really the place you might want to start is we're saying, well, you've got to start even outside the handicap range because the handicap range are at least people that have a handicap for a reason because they're, they're I assume, aspiring to, get, aspiring to get better unless they're trailing sand. So I don't know what the answer is to that. You want me to read some of the responses? I'm sure people are going to start I would rather hear from the people than, than us just blindly okay, talking okay. about numbers. All right. All right. Stand by. I'm scrolling up so we can get to you folks. Uh, let's see here. He won't be 170 pounds for long. What is that for? Nearest to the umbrella again. As it relates to the LPGA, now is the time. To, uh, maybe the ladies tour members don't want to be a part of the PGA tour mismanagement. Here we go. You're losing, Dom. Take the L. <laughs> Dom is fairly stubborn. Is Rose a child prodigy would make a great survey question. Look at ladies tennis if you want to see who prodigies are. Only 55% of golfers can break 100. Greg Norman pretty much took up golf and got to... Well, this is just, again... I'm I'm trying my best to source my information here. Greg Norman pretty much took up golf and got to scratch in a year and then won very quickly as a pro. Paul talks about... He's obviously talking about the prodigy still. David says, wow, Dom, great point. I don't know. I don't know. Thank you. I wonder what he was talking about when he said that. Derek writes, I'm a 4.2, so clearly I don't suck. (laughs) And then he wrote back, by the way, I suck at golf. (laughs) See, I feel like like there's more people on my side than you think, Matt. Paul writes, 70% If you knew what your side was, that that, uh, would mean something to me. Kane's out group says, I don't feel insulted. However... (laughs) Golf, <laughs> I'm really enjoying this. Golf is designed to make you suck at it. <laughs> That's a great quote. Golf is designed to make you suck. Uh, Bob writes, I'm a 13, and I feel like I don't suck at golf. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, it is less than 1% of golfers that can consistently break 80. Paul says, six handicappers don't think that they suck <laughs> Uh, 20 plus handicappers suck. I play 40 rounds a year. I have a nine handicap and I break 80, maybe seven or eight times a year. But that's all they said. They're just just telling us what's going on. I am a 13 and yes, I have some bad rounds, but there are days when I play well. And although I know I would never be at an elite level, I do practice and work to change my game for improvement. Yeah, but if you, as long as you don't slow everybody down, I don't care. I'm not anti get better at golf. Come on. No, you just. You it's just... bad etiquette that makes golf so frustrating. David writes, way right, Dom, exclamation point. Again, I don't know what they're referring to. I Hopefully think that... just me and my thoughts in their entirety. Well, no, you're way, you're, yeah, you're just right <laughs> in general. You're just correct. Just, uh, man, but I, Dom I is think, right. Yeah, I think, I think what people might be reacting to is your, your philosophy of what defines a prodigy. And if a child is reared from their earliest days to be good at a particular vocation, sport, or otherwise, then how do you call them a prodigy? 
that that's I the, don't think that was so. The... I think we're talking about handicaps right now. I think they're on my side with this handicap thing. Now, maybe the, the six handicap is a little too low. Maybe oh. that number – I mean, we're talking about the numbers. Maybe it yeah. should be a 10. I don't know. I'm tell, all at, My point is there's a line. And some people, maybe myself included, suck, and they're on the other side of the line. Hold on. Let's keep going. I have played with low single-digit people before who use Aimpoint, and I think they, and, and they think they are tour players, and they are some of the slowest people on the course. Thank you, Aaron. Only difference between a scratch and a pro is 100 yards in. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. This thing just went nuts on me. All right, here we go. Tour players, all 600 of them are elite. That's interesting. We should get a number for that. I wonder how many tour players there are. Oh, that obviously includes that, but that's... Like, yeah, I mean, all the tours. Yeah. Uh, and then there are non-pros, and then there are club pros, and then there are pretenders, and then there are scratch ams, and then there are good club players. Tour players would be like .001% of all golfers. Paul writes, quote of the year from Dom. I wonder what he's talking about here. Uh, let's see here. Wow, so a sixth of Americans are golfers. Never would have thought that. Oh, well, did you use a number, Matt? What was your number, 30-something million? You well, should you should uh, provide context to that because not all of those people are like playing golf every weekend on a golf course, correct? Correct. Uh, the number was forty-seven million, and the, the context that I've already okay. Provided, so go ahead. You busy, yeah, well, I'm going to keep reading, but you define. Well, you were busy doing your research. What I said was that the number, roughly, the numbers are, are <clears throat> low thirty millions that play golf on course, and then above that, it's people that have uh, a golf club in their hand. And the example that I was using was. Other sports, which is ultimately what this is all about, because it ultimately comes down to how you define yourself and how you define yourself impacts all areas of of importance to a particular sport where, for example, NASCAR used to be judged by they said, well, they have 75 million fans in NASCAR. OK, well, how are you defining that? Well, we define it by anyone that consumes NASCAR that includes television audiences, because it surely doesn't include people who are out driving a stock car. Right. Where golf used to define itself as, well, we define ourselves by people who play golf. It was our own fault. It, was, it came from the National Golf Foundation. It was our own fault. We did this to ourselves for years. We, golf was a sport of 26 million. And people would go, wait a minute, NASCAR is 75 million. NASCAR alone is 75 million. You want to talk about baseball? You want to talk about hockey? You want to talk about NFL? You want to talk about these massive sports? You guys are 26? Please, step aside. Finally, Finally, golf started measuring itself correctly. And when it comes to those that actually play the game, it was defined by if you do something with a club in hand and a ball, that's golf. There may be different definitions of what golf is, but it's golf. And I was using the analogy that because you were talking about your playing of basketball, basketball isn't only about people that play on a professional team. If you have a game with your buddies at a basketball court, you're outside playing basketball. It's a game. You're playing basketball. It, it counts. And it's the same with golf. It counts. So there are different definitions now. And, and to expand this even one step further, those that now consume the game, they use the same analogy, the same basis of comparison that, say, I was just using an example of NASCAR from a few years ago. The number for golf is over a hundred million now, just over a hundred million, and it's now people might be sitting at home listening to us, watching us around the world, and going, "This is the United States." I'm talking about. They might go, "Please, 
100 million. It's, it's, it's just under one, point, one in three Americans. But it's, it's by an all-encompassing definition, the exact same definitions that all the other sports would use to compare to golf. Yes, so it does include people that watch golf on television. That's consuming the game of golf. If you go out and you, and you bought, bought a shirt for your, your loved one for Father's Day, that's consuming golf. You count in that number. So that's how the number gets as big as it is because it's people that are touched by the game. And it's not so much a question of whether you do or do not believe in how it is defined. The much bigger issue is, is that this is the way that all the other sports at a major league level, and I'm not just talking professional when I say that, I'm talking about at a major level globally and even particularly in this context, the United States, are compared to. So it matters. It makes a huge, huge difference. It impacts all kinds of different areas in the sport. Should be happy to go down. Sorry to be so long-winded about that, Tom. What else you got? No, it's fine. I'll just read a few more here because I, I do want to get to Keegan. We've still got some stuff to go over with the Travelers. There's lots of stuff we have to go over, but uh, this is fun. Um, hit the like button, Derek says. Thank you, Eric. You can just subscribe. We're totally free. We're like Matt said, we're every day doing this stuff. Uh, no one cares what you shot. That's amateur golf. I heard someone over the weekend comparing Rosang to Tiger Woods, and then they did, like, the emoji eye roll. Like, come on. Uh, Ryan says, I'm a plus one, and I suck. <laughs> uh, DA says, Robin Williams on golf says it all. Um, Chase says, shout out to the show. And then there's some people here actually talking about uh, Tiger, um, who has yet to comment on what has transpired in the last couple of weeks, just in general, which... I mean, in my opinion, is a good PR move. I mean, what could he For possibly who? say that wouldn't result in him getting destroyed? He can't say who? he can't Tiger pick a side or do anything. Yes. Why would Whatever Tiger he get says, destroyed? he's going to get take. He'll get taken to task for. Look at what's going on right now on all sides, Matt. If you're a player and you pick a side or make a comment, you're getting roasted on on either on either side now, because now that they're now that they're saying that the PIF fund is over everything. Every journalist everywhere is asking the Saudi money question of all sides. So if you're a tour player, you're getting hit with that question, and your answer isn't good enough. If you're a live player, you're getting, hand, you're getting hit with that question, your answer isn't good enough. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau went on CNN and was getting asked about the 9-11 families. Listen, there yeah, is not an answer he could have given that he wouldn't have gotten roasted But for. the answer that What's he, he did give was terrible. It, got, it was awful. He won't be he won't be doing interviews possibly for the rest of his life. <laughs> just pointing that out. <laughs> so I well, I'm still confused so at just, how how Tiger's going to lose either way. I mean, we were told that Tiger was offered 800 million dollars to go with with uh, Live. The people on the other side claim that they didn't offer him that kind of money. Right? So again, we don't know what the real answer is on that. We may never know what the real answer is on that. Either way, Tiger didn't go to live. Whether you like that decision or not like the decision, see this whole thing where so much it's it's so infused with emotions. Yeah, but Matt, how about, he's how about the one for a second? Got everyone together. And 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 we're never going to do this. And now they're all going to do no, it. No, no, no. There's no indication that that was why you're talking about the player meeting that was led by he and I, I think Rory. I'm not 100 percent certain that Rory was the other leader in that meeting, but Tiger definitely was when he flew up to meet with the players. All I'm saying is let's deal with facts. Use golf facts. Let's deal with the facts when we're talking about this. 
Tiger didn't go to live. Fact. So if Tiger stayed with the PGA Tour, I'm very interested in what his comments are as to how and why he made the decision that he made. How and why. Facts. Why did you decide not to go to live? Why did you decide to turn down that money? Were you ever actually offered that money? They, again, they may say, hey, it's none of your business. How about that? Right? But why did you stay with the PGA Tour? And then it comes down to this. Did you stay with the PGA Tour in any way because you didn't like the source of funds? We're talking about professional athletes here. Is it possible that it was about that they didn't like the source of funds? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I have a feeling that's not it. Based upon comments that Tiger has made, I have a feeling it's because Tiger was the one that was saying, why would I do that when it could mean, why would, and he said, why would anyone do that when it could mean that they might never play in major championships again? And from the beginning, that just seemed like, uh, again, I, I told you this before, when this whole conversation started and I started hearing phrases thrown around about golf's ecosystem, and everybody was using it. They were all talking about golf's ecosystem, right? An ecosystem is a way of saying that we're not going to change the status quo. An ecosystem says we're not going to look at somebody new. That's what an ecosystem means in that context, which tells me that walls are going to be built up artificially. And so early on, the ecosystem indication was, yeah, well, if you know, if you leave the PGA Tour, you're not going to be able to play in majors, which never made sense to me. For better or for worse, I don't care what side of this argument you're on. It never made sense to me that as a major championship, which is not one of those two leagues, that you would choose a side and say, you can't play in a major even though you might be the whatever best player in the world, which now we don't know. Right? And so then we go to 2023, in 2023, gloriously shows us that the best players in the world are the best players in the world outside of all the arguments in politics. They rise above it because they're the best players in the world. So the whole argument about golf's ecosystem collapsed because apparently a weed was introduced to the ecosystem and it strangled out that mentality that was going to try to block people based on politics. It didn't work. And I think the game was better for, for that not working, frankly. I think the majors were better for that not working. They became much, much more compelling. So I've just, I'm sorry to, be, to get you know so invested in that last comment you made, but I don't see how Tiger giving us the answers about what he did and why could be fodder for him to be attacked on both sides. I just don't get that. He made a decision. Asking why someone made a decision to do what they did could be as simple as what he has intimated previously that, no, my loyalty is to the PGA Tour because this is where I was born and bred and raised. This is where I had my success. This is where I can compare myself from a legacy standpoint. And again, it doesn't matter what side of the argument you're on here. Pro-live, against-live, whatever. That are, If someone feels that way, they have a right to feel that way. And it's okay. I don't see how it, someone would be attacked for that. That that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but you don't think that Tiger would that answer would that question would get asked and his answer would be what you said. 
But the questions that people would be asking that they would jump all over them about is about the Saudi influx of the money. And how can you – so the, like, the questions that would put him in a corner where he doesn't really want to answer it, right, would yeah. be – Tiger, uh, now, th- now this new entity, uh, you're getting money from the same place that you swore, you know, you swore off, and you promised the tour would never do this. And how can you support this? How can you be a member of this tour? How can you still want to play under the same umbrella that you were vehemently against? How would he answer Again. that? Based on your, because you're saying everything's fine, and oh well, you can't yell at him. So what's he going to say to that? That's that he's not going to get roasted for. You're presuming what he would say that would set up this roasting. I don't know what he would say. I'm only going on the facts. Of, that's what I'm asking you in this, is instead of, instead of infusing it with emotions, deal with facts. The facts are that Tiger said that the PGA Tour represents legacy to him, and he can compare himself to the greats of all times, etc., which another standard of doing that, of course, is major championships, but that's another, that's another conversation. So if Tiger's answer is... I stayed with the PGA Tour because of legacy. That's okay. If they joined with Liv and an influx of money was coming in from the, the sovereign fund of, of uh, the public investment fund of the Saudi royal family, I don't see how Tiger would be subject to a, a hypocrisy at that point when he's still with the PGA Tour, which is what he said he wanted. That's what I'm saying to you. Maybe, but Tiger is Tiger, and Tiger is the needle, and they're going to spend an hour in the press room trying to get him to say something he doesn't want to say. Yeah, but that's 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 Tiger. He's 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 the he's also the king of platitudes. He he knows he knows how to dodge his how weave to say or, nothing. Yeah, weave his way around a press conference. No, to say not nothing. He says what he wants to say. That's it's a big difference there. A huge huge difference between saying nothing and saying what you want. And Tiger is absolutely ingenious in saying exactly what he wants. The other one that, that did it for years was Phil. The two of them were absolutely masters at controlling the media. So now it's a question of with all of these big things circling around, can they continue to do it? Dom, did you want to do what? Did you want to cover anything else coming in from the people? Because we now we got, officially, we got more stuff we can go over, but we, we can go now, to break Dom, here because I'd like to talk about the traveler stuff. We have now officially done the longest first segment in the years that we've been doing this show. <laughs> Yeah, what is it? An hour and three minutes? Yeah, that's a long first yeah. segment. Longest we first segment break. That we have ever done on the <laughs> Fairways of Life show. So when we come back here, uh, I do want to dip our toes into the Travelers Championship. I'm not going to go as deep as we were intending to go when we came on the air this morning. But when we come back, I do want to get to the comments from Rory McIlroy. Uh, anything we don't get to, incidentally, as you know, uh, we're going to get to because we are the only live, independent, global, daily golf television show uh, available global around the world to all of you so you guys can catch us uh, every day as you are maybe perhaps right now on our youtube channel just subscribe to fairways of life on youtube hit that subscribe button and it will keep you up to speed in exactly what we're doing dewizgolf.com is where you can log on and know your game like you have never known your game before Uh, it gives you a whole myriad of different measurements of your golf game so that it becomes a golf monitor yet the data that you will generate which is massive becomes a swing modifier from it you can become a better player than you've ever been before to for more information more of the fairways of life show coming up after this 
Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs, the Tour Ball reinvented. The Gen 6 Iron is a culmination of everything that we have learned as a team. The absolute best golf club I have ever hit. It's something special. Say hello to the new PXG Gen 6 Iron. The longest, most accurate irons we've ever made. They go higher and farther than any iron that I have hit to date. And they're so easy to hit. Super excited for the consumer to try this. They're going to love them. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm going to go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're going to need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls, and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. Welcome back to Fairways of Life show. This is supposed to be a quiet Monday show. Just like, hey, how you doing? We're just here. Here's what happened over the weekend. Our pre-meeting was like that. What do yeah, we talk about? Well, was let's, that just, re- let's just recap the travelers. The KPMG was pretty cool, and then we'll call it a day. <laughs> yeah, we've been on the road for a long time. Let's just take it easy and tell everybody what happened, give them their, what they need. And then Dom came in like Clint Eastwood in a spaghetti western. I think you all suck. 8 a.m. tomorrow, Matt, is the lawyer. Woo, we got a, we got a guest for you guys tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that's going to. Right out of the gates. Wow. Well, there's no doubt about that. That's going to fire things up. But, I, but let, me, let, me, let me do Keegan Bradley. Can I do Keegan Bradley? Uh, yeah, all right. Won the Travelers Championship. Uh, didn't have a great U.S. Open. So, And then it, a lot of what he was talking about was. You know, what this means for a kid who grew up playing golf in New England. 
And it wasn't like he came from some elite background, contrary to what some people think he didn't. I mean, he literally, he lived in an RV with his dad. Uh, he's, but he's a huge New England sports fan. Huge New England sports fan. So, uh, in fact, I bumped into Keegan at, at this, the Masters this year, and I happened to ask him about the Travelers, and I'm like, my hair was blown back when he was like, Travelers, I think, he, I think he may have called it his fifth major, I'm not sure, but it meant a lot to him, so it was really cool to see him go out and win it this week, which, by the way, the Travelers was incredible. Uh, they're, they're a great partner with the Fairways of Life show, and they have been for years. We, you know how vested we all are. We did our national show from TPC River Highlands this past week. Just all of it. And in our daily shows, we did too, obviously. But the, the national television broadcast we did from there. Uh, it was on, on Wednesday. Uh, I got a chance to do the, they call it the celebrity putting. And so we did the celebrity putting. It was it was me and Annie Bissett, who is the, this this was one of the this was the one hole that wasn't done in by a, by a Lego castle. That's Andy Bissett with his his first effort there. Uh, and then behind Surprise, me, you, you guys see aren't the, doing aim point. <laughs> yeah, you can see me behind. I did do it. I did it before I walked up. Behind me are the the coaching staff from the University of Connecticut National Champions. Dan Hurley there towards the left. Yeah, Dan, give me a little love for that one. So we had an incredible time, and those guys were, were really fun. In fact. The on the basketball the, the coaching staff there you can see Dan's Dan's over my shoulder. Kwani, Luke, Andy, Andy, one over from from Andy is is Luke who is Bill Murray's son. Don't know, didn't know if you guys were aware of that. So Bill Murray was there too. He was playing in the in the pro am and all and all that stuff. So just the the event is is so cool. It's so much fun. It means so much to Southern New England. So Keegan Bradley was talking about. What it means as a New England kid to win, he did. Uh, he was asked about, and he answered the question about, you know, not playing well at the at the U.S. Open L.A. Country Club, and the very next week he win. Um, you know, what does it mean in terms of how proud he is to be a New Englander? He's a major champion. How does this win compare to that in terms of of the emotions? Uh, what was the crowd like? Uh, how how hard did you feel like they were pulling for you today? What was it like the night before coming in and thinking that you may have a chance to win this event that you've wanted to win since since you were a very young kid? Uh, and then from here, he moves now. Uh, Dom, I believe he's seventh on the United States Ryder Cup team standings right now, if I'm correct. Correct. That's correct. All right. Seventh. He won $3.6 million along the way. Uh, he was asked about what, you know, he's a big sports fan. You know, it, what message have you got and who you got it from? So all of those things... Uh, but where you have to start is, I guess, where it ends as well in, in this context and discussion about Keegan Bradley. What does it mean as a New England kid to win this only PGA Tour event that's played every year in New England? Yeah, I mean, it was the first uh, PGA Tour event I've ever been to. Back when I was a kid, I drove from Vermont to come here and watch David Duvall play. And, you know, it's it's an event my first handful of years on tour I really struggled at because – the, the, the pressure of wanting to play well for my family and for the local community was too much, and I had to learn how to do it. And uh, to to other than the majors and you know those those type of tournaments, this was always the top of my list. And um, what a special thing to be the the winner of this tournament. 
Yeah, I was playing great. I didn't look at many leaderboards because I knew I sort of had control of the of the tournament. You know, whether if I just played my best, I knew I with Chez, who was kind of right behind me, who was a little bit back. I knew that I sort of had control, and um, you know, this course is so fun to play because every hole is a birdie hole, but also on that backside there's water everywhere you can make a bogey in a second and um it was a it was a stressful finish but you know once I got that ball on the green on 17 I kind of could take a little bit of a deep breath but um it got it moving a little quick but it was uh you know I kept I did a great job of just you know trying to stay calm and ended up winning the tournament yeah it is because you can't for me I'm always trying to keep my emotions down uh, it's one of the reasons why I love the Ryder Cup is because you can let it out at all times. And you don't want to get too emotional on any shot, whether it be good or bad. And it's easy to get emotional on a really good shot out here because of the fans. And the, my biggest job was to st- try to stay calm and not, you know, get too excited over, especially early in the round, because you know coming down the end it's going to be stressful. No matter how big of a lead you have, there's some tough tee shots that you have to hit. And I was able to do that. But at times when I was lacking a little bit, I'd look to the crowd. If I just look into the crowd, they cheer. And I tried to just take that energy that they were cheering at me. Yeah, I, I really played awful there. And um, I called my coach, Darren May, and I, I, I went home to Massachusetts. And then I drove up here Monday. And we had a great day Monday, a great day Tuesday, and a great day Wednesday. And that doesn't always necessarily mean you're going to play well. But it seemed I seemed like I was in great shape, and uh, it it really it really clicked in. And you know when it clicks in like that, I've never played. That's the only time I've ever played in my career that I could think of that I did everything the best I could. No, I mean one of my favorite things about myself is where I'm from, and I the 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 bond that you have with people from New England is different than anywhere in the world that country I've ever been. And, you know, this is, I'm very proud. I've lived all over New England. I've lived in Vermont, New Hampshire, uh, Massachusetts. And, you know, I've, I'm very, very proud of where I come from. And I love every sports team in this area. So to hear the fans cheer for me like they would a sports team, it means a lot. The majors are the majors and they hold such weight and they hold history and, you know, where your legacy is in the game. But then you can measure other tournaments with what happened out here today and how enjoyment level. And I, winning before a family versus winning after a family doesn't even compare. Winning a tournament with your family is the greatest feeling because they put up with a lot of nonsense, I'd say, of me traveling, me missing first days of school or my wife being alone all the time, you know, when I'm on the road and for them to be able to feel the excitement of this and be here and feel it, they can't put a price on that. It's just the greatest feeling. Yeah, I mean, I said in my interview after the round, this is for all the kids like me that grew up in winters and can't play and would watch the kids from Florida and down south, you know, get better and compete and get invited to the biggest tournaments in the country that I was never invited to. And, you know, I hope that they know that they can come from this area. This, this was, this was for where I grew up, this is like the South down here, but um, they can come from this area and still make it in golf. You know, if you put your time in and work, you know, when you can and enjoy the game, you know, I hope they can see that they can do that.
I'm so, I, I can't even describe what that felt like. I dreamt my whole life of playing in Fenway Park, Gillette Stadium, and to feel pretty close to what that would feel like. Uh, you know, I had a bunch of people say they've never heard the 18th hole sound like that. And it, uh, it was just so fun to have a three-shot lead where I could, I could enjoy it and mess up a little bit and still win. I could, I could let my guard down a little bit. And, you know, I've never been able to do that in my six wins. So I'm so thankful for the fans, and I'm so honored to be their winner. Really hard. Yeah, I had two dreams last night that I woke up to of hitting a shot out of bounds or something, like nightmares. I had a dream that Justin Thomas was shooting 10 under par. and like, so It was it was bad. Like, I, I felt great yesterday. This morning, I was, I was feeling it. I texted my wife. I got here, and I, I was feeling it. And I went out this morning. I played basketball with my son, thinking that would help. Didn't really help. Uh, and then, you know, I was really nervous on the first hole. And then once I got to the third hole, I, I just I just felt really calm. And then, you know, later in the round, I definitely felt it too. But this was a real tough one these last couple of days. Yeah, I mean, it was the first thing I said to my wife walking up the up to sign my card was, it's a pretty big step towards doing that. And, you know, I'm 37 years old. I hope to play in multiple more, but I don't know how many more. With the, everybody's so good, you know, and the younger kids, are, it's just the team is incredible. And, you know, I still got a lot to show the captain, and I would love to go to Rome and be a part of that team. Well, I got, um, of course, Michael Jordan texted me, and that means a lot to me. He's obviously my hero, but also one of my good friends. Timmy Wakefield, uh, Boston Red Sox. Uh, I'm trying to think. Baba Bowie from Howard Stern texted me. That was probably my favorite. Uh, I, I... I did a quick scan. I had a couple, two, three hundred texts, and I found, saw that. Aaron Rodgers, uh, that meant a lot, even though he plays for the Jets now. Um, but I'm, I'm, it's such a, it's such a cool, when you get a text from an athlete, it hits different because they know what it goes into doing something like this, and it means a lot. Keegan Bradley talking about how much it means to win uh, at the Travelers Championship. Exactly how he did that is the direction that we'll be going down next. Mark McCumber and Earl Forsey were hosting the coverage for PGA Tour Radio, which you can hear week in and week out on the PGA Tour app on PGATour.com or if you subscribe to the National Satellite Service Sirius XM. And, gents, as we just heard from Keegan Bradley, this one was a dream come true for a kid from New England. Matt, thanks. It's always fun. The week at TPC River Highlands for the Travelers Championship. Certainly exciting this week. With Mark McCumber, our analyst, watching Keegan Bradley put on a show, a birdie barrage. He made 27 birdies this week. Wins with a record-sending score, 23 under par. His second win this season. Mark McCumber, in all facets, an impressive win this week by Keegan Bradley. It was impressive. There's no question about it. He played flawless golf until the last hour of the uh, tournament. But, you know, that's golf. It's almost impossible to play for four days, 72 holes, and not have a period, a two, three, four-hole period where you're grinding or struggling. And I think just the situation, the one bad swing on the par five they hit in the water on 13, I think might have just unnerved him a little bit. But he kept it all together, and he played beautifully. I'm I'm tickled for the young man. It was a really good win, sixth win to go with a major. It's a pretty good career he's building. And a season that started with uh, Keegan Bradley 
having not won on the PGA Tour in five years, Mark, now two wins. He's number five in FedEx Cup points. You know, for him, he, he committed himself to fitness and losing some weight in the offseason. And, man, has it paid off so far. Yeah, he totally changed his diet. And, and he said it made a big difference. He wanted to get to the next level. And, you know, he's not he's not a spring chicken. He's certainly a young man, but he's been out here quite a long time. And, you know, one of the things people might forget, I think that he and Webb Simpson might have been hurt the most or affected the most, I should say, by the ban of the anchored putter because they were both winning tournaments, playing good golf, and they both had to struggle through that. Thankfully, both recovered. Webb Simpson has gone on to win tournaments since he made the adjustment in his putting, including the Players' Championship in a dominant fashion, Keegan Bradley now is a two-time winner and a beautiful putter this week. And when it's all said and done, he's always been a good striker of the ball, always had a lot of length. Uh, but when you put the putting together and uh, thinking well on the golf course, which I thought he did this week, that's why you've got a new champion yeah. this year at the uh, Travelers Championship. It's exactly what he did, Mark. It's not a secret formula. You need to make birdies. You need to make putts. Keegan Bradley, number one strokes game putting for the week. Why well, he made 27 birdies and led the field. 27 birdies. I, I don't think I ever did anything close to that. And the 27, you know, you can look at the little bit of the speed bumps, the three bogeys coming in. But if you gave me one bogey a day every week of my life on tour, I would have taken it and never argued. That's what it averaged out to. It doesn't matter when you do it. I've often said the putt on the first hole to save pars is important as the putt on the last hole to win. He happened to miss some of those, make some of those bogeys late but it doesn't take away from the stellar play. And how about the way he played 17? Earl, I mean, he could have had a collapse there, but he didn't. Beautiful tee shot, beautiful smart second shot, and an easy two-putt, and he pars the last for that three-shot victory. And a day that, uh, as good as it was for Keegan Bradley, a little disappointing, don't you think, for some of the bigger names that uh, weren't able to make runs on a course where the low numbers were out there all week? Yeah, what ifs don't matter, because what ifs, aren't what happens what happens is what happens but Patrick Cantlay look at him he bogeys the 16th when he got with him what three shots where he could have turned the tide and then he misses a short birdie putt on 17 and all of a sudden if he if he pars 16 referring to Patrick Cantlay and birdie 17 all of a sudden you're looking at Keegan Bradley with a one-shot lead playing the 17th could have changed the whole thing but it didn't happen and hats off to Keegan Bradley so Keegan Bradley, second win this season for him. It's been a terrific year. Now the PGA Tour heads to Detroit next, and we'll be on the air this week for our coverage of the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Cannot wait for that coverage, too, gents. Thank you very much. Donald Ross Golf Course this week. And so earlier we came on the show today. I won't have time to play the sound, but I will get to it this week from Rory McIlroy talking about the TPC River Highlands. He said, you know, because of the players, the athletes that they are today, the equipment that exists today, blah, 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 that the golf course is uh, – obsolete well if it's obsolete at tpc river highlands this week then keep a close watch at what happens at this beautiful little donald ross golf course in the detroit area and you may come to the same conclusion is that fair an assessment because does it matter to us in terms of where are we vested are we as fans vested in what the finishing score is do you want to see i've asked this question all the time been asking of you guys for a long time uh, do you want to see a high scoring game do you want to see a defensive game? Do you want to see a low-scoring game? There's not a right or wrong answer. I'm just asking, what do you want? The Travelers Championship is at the place that they are at, when they are at, how they are at, because they are an anti-U.S. Open. And I don't mean that negatively. There's so much for and against that exists in our world today. I mean it from the standpoint of where at the U.S. Open, it's difficult to make a birdie 
at the Travelers Championship, you have to make birdies and you have to make a lot of them or you're going to find yourself in trouble. And that's exactly to what Padraig Harrington did. This PGA Tour Champions report is presented by Tour Edge. Log on to touredge.com and see why pound for pound they are best value and performance in the game. Harrington fired a back nine seven under 28 that took him past any other leaders to defend his title this past weekend on the Champs Tour. He birdied holes 12, 13, 14, 15, eagled 16, birdied 17. It all led him to an 18 under par finish, and he finished one stroke ahead of Joe Durant. Okay, so uh, Dom, did you have something else you were talking to me in my headset? You another message you wanted to, to message uh, tell the world about before we went to break or before we went? Yeah, there's a lot time? of stuff coming in as there always is, and again, we appreciate it, but. Uh, it, I was saying to Matt in one of the commercials or when something was playing, it shows us why we do these shows and why we love golf and why we love you guys and what makes this sport bring everyone together, even though we all suck <laughs> at golf. Uh, nobody from South Africa wrote, I am from Africa. We are used to feeling we're used to the feeling of exclusion because of stigmas and dogmas from the past. It just feels nice to be included on the world stage, which is very kind of him uh, to say that. And he basically went on to say that he really appreciates our program and and we make him feel like he's part of the group, which he is. There, yes. All of you are part of the group. That's correct. And your opinion, as you know, we're reading everything. I mean, whatever you write, it's like, it's like that uh, line in Anchorman. Whatever you put on that prompter, I'm just going to say it. San <laughs> so. Diego. That's awesome. Uh, Folks, thank you for your passion. Thank you for being a part of the Fairways of Life show day in and day out. And thank you to everybody for helping make our weekend national television broadcast success that it has been. We love this. As Dom just was telling you that that particularly this this daily digital show, uh, as you could tell, it's it's supposed to run roughly an hour. Uh, It just ran an, an hour and 25 minutes straight through because we love sharing the experience with all of you guys, and we look forward to doing it again tomorrow. As, as Dom mentioned as well when he was talking about our guest, we've got a real high-power sports attorney coming on. Now, before you roll your eyes and go, oh, I don't want to hear from an attorney. That's all I hear about. No, this is one that we can ask the questions of and say, okay, if that, then what, what about this and why that? Uh, and go down this road of understanding what's going on in, in the, the sportscape right now. Uh, in the world of golf and beyond. Uh, And so I'm very much looking forward to that conversation and letting you guys share in all of that as well. Thank you for letting us share in part of your day. And for those of you that were engaged in the messages, hopefully Dom got to yours on the air. If not, there'll be another day and another time that I'm sure it will be shared. Until we are together again, thank you and goodbye for now. I guess, hello world, huh? (laughs) And with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. I've done it for 20 years now with with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf, proud to be part of your journey.
Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boynegolf.com. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls, and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. <laughs> Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Say hello to the new PXG Gen 6 driver. This is the driver. It is absolutely fantastic on performance, distance, on looks, on feel and sound. Beyond forgiving. I am supremely confident that when a golfer hits our Gen 6 drivers, they are going to have some of the best golfing days they've ever had. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Zero Friction introduces the Wheel Pro Push Cart Golf Bag with its revolutionary three-in-one design, supportive legs that spring into action, a comfort grip handle with three locking positions, accessories for the modern golfer enhanced by seven pockets for more storage, and removable all-terrain wheels which slide right into place. The new Zero Friction Wheel Pro Golf Bag checks every box for every golfer. Push, carry, or cart, the decision is yours. Thanks to Zero Friction. Head to ZeroFriction.com today.